Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for moments in time like this one where we get to pause and reflect on what's truly significant, where we get to remember a bounty of blessings that you've given us for your continued care. And Father, right now I invite you to remind us of your heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to read to you First uh, Chronicles chapter 12. Our sermon this morning is entitled Brand New. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, it says this. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200. The key descriptor here is two descriptors. They were the sons of Issachar and they understood the times. Uh, This moment in Israel's history is David's coronation. He was anointed almost two decades prior to this moment to be king, and finally now he is having this moment where he is being recognized by all of Israel to be the king of Israel. Saul in the previous chapter has died in battle, and now all the leaders from the different tribes are coming together. They're sending their warriors uh, to coronate David. Now, uh, all of them have a unique descriptor. Uh, they, they, they state where they're from, what tribe they're a part of, and they have a, a variety of numbers. Now, what's interesting is if you skim through First Chronicles there, you're going to see all kinds of numbers. You're going to see numbers that say 4,000, 10,000, 12,000. Uh, and this tribe in particular, the tribe that came from Issachar, 200. But they added this additional qualifier that they understood the times that they were in. Here's what's really important is whenever you are engaged in a pivotal moment in history, it's important for you, it's important for me, it's important for our body to understand the times that we are living in. It allows us to navigate whatever battles may come, whatever hard moments may arrive, and really be ready to respond with the challenge before us. I believe that we are at a pivotal moment in history. Uh, and others seem to agree. I want to draw your attention to uh, an article written by Doug Sosnick. He's a political strategist, and he's saying this about America. Put it up on the screen for you. Years from now, we are going to be looking at this period of time and see it as a hinge moment, a connection point that ties two historical periods in time. These kinds of moments don't happen overnight. They build over time. And like then, speaking of the Industrial Revolution, a series of factors are now contributing to the tipping point we are rapidly approaching. Most notably, the economic uncertainty, global instability, and technological advances that the country is experiencing. On top of these drivers, there is a demographic transformation taking place that is literally changing who we are as a country. This is in his article entitled America's Hinge Movement. We're caught between these two periods of time. And what he he concludes there is that we are having a demographical shift like we've never experienced before. Now, there's there's a number of demographical shifts. I want to zero in on one. And to do that, I want to go to James Emery White's book entitled Meet Generation C. And in this book, he talks about what it means to minister in a post-Christian society. He says the greatest crisis of this age is that there has been a second fall. The first fall led to God's expulsion of human beings from the Garden of Eden. 
The second fall was when we returned the favor. He goes on to say, but something like atheism isn't at the heart of the second fall because philosophical atheism is not the heart of secularism nor the principal challenge to Christian faith. Rather, the heart of secularism is a functional atheism. Rather than rejecting the idea of God, our culture simply ignores him. Or as Kathy Lynn Grossman put it, the co-researcher of the famed 2008 American Religious Identification Survey, documenting the rise of the nuns, this class that we're talking about, concluded, people today aren't merely secularized. They're not thinking about religion and rejecting it. They're not thinking about it at all. Just let's pause there. In our apologetic history in Christianity, apologetics played a strong role because people were challenging the idea of God. They were asserting based on logic. They were asserting based on a scientific process of research, of, of outcomes as they were discovering the world. People were challenging the existence of God, and they, they, were, they were actually looking into it. And so uh, an apologetic tradition surfaced, right? And where we need to prove and where we combat and we respond and try to make the case for God. Now, here's a major shift in how people are understanding faith. They're not even asking the question. They're not even trying to construct logical reasons to explain God. They just simply are ignoring the issue. This category here that he's speaking of is called the nuns, and it's been well documented both by the Pew Research Center and one of our favorite uh, Christian uh, research centers, Barna. There is a whole growing demographic of people who find themselves not religiously affiliated, non They're called the nuns. James Emery White goes on to say, the nuns are no longer the second largest religious religious group in the United States. They are the largest. And they are still by far the fastest growing. More troubling is that of the 85% of American adults who were raised Christians, now remember, this is a piece of a larger pie. This This is the piece that have grown up Christians is that of the 85% of adults who were raised Christian, nearly a quarter of them no longer identify with Christianity. Former Christians now represent 19.2% of the U.S. adult population overall. To put this into perspective, Alan Cooperman, Pew's Director of Religion Research, says there are more than four former Christians for every convert to Christianity. And the rise of the nuns and the falls of Christians is widespread crossing race, gender, educational, and geographic barriers. Forget the Bible Belt or the Catholic North. This is happening everywhere and across every demographic. The rise of the nuns. You know, reading this stuff, reading these stats, uh, this feels very, very other. This feels like this is something that's happening somewhere else to some other group of people. I really can't, no wait, I really can identify with these statistics. A week and a half ago, I was on the phone call with a family member, and by the end of the conversation, I was feeling especially sad. I I had known that this particular family member had been growing more and more disconnected with God. Well, I mean, let me put it in terms they would use. 
growing more and more disconnected with the church. But I still held out hope that there was a strong connection to God. By the end of the phone call, I began to wonder, was there any connection to God? I got really sad. My heart was breaking. Because I finally, I I realized, uh, nuns, it's not a stat. It's somebody that I know. It's somebody that I love. It's somebody that I care for. They're not really angry at God. They don't hate the church. They're a little confused by it right now. But this somebody that I know isn't even dealing with the question of God. They're not even entertaining uh, a relationship for or a relationship against God. They're just not engaging with God. The story of the nun is not something distant or far. It isn't a, a group of people that I have no familiarity with. The story of the nun is, is heart and flesh. And if you take just a moment, right now, do it right now, I'm sure you can think of somebody you know who isn't really for God, isn't really against God. Is it really for the church? Is it really against the church? They're kind of just there, living life day in, day out, disconnected. I think that's the sorry truth of this reality that's being painted, is that all of us, on some level, we find ourselves here Sabbath morning, but when we think of a family member, when we think of a classmate, of a friend, we realize we don't know where they are this morning. We didn't know where they were last night. We don't know what they do with all their time. Do they even pray anymore? Do they have any connection with God? It's a serious and sobering truth. The question is, is how shall we respond? What is the appeal for us to make? So keep thinking about that one person. If you can, think about that one person and just table it there for a moment. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him, because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed which the paralytic was lying on. I just want to pause for a minute. Did you read the line in there about the roof? They broke it apart, they tore it open. Is super disruptive. In just about six or seven months, we're going to do the same thing. Have you heard? Have you have you have you seen the the Have you maybe you haven't seen it? Have you seen this? Renovate heart and house. 
It's a, it's a next step, it's a next moment in Pioneer's journey. Our roof is falling apart. Did you know that? Water can come through the roof, and then we feel rain. That isn't the Holy Spirit, right? It's wet, and it's annoying, and it destroys things. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dwight launched this next chapter in Pioneer's story, and and I, I invite you to go see his sermons. If you go to pmchurch.org forward slash renovate, you'll see there the project. You'll see there the sermons and the appeals. And it's a $2 million project that all of us get to participate in. Get to? Yeah, I'm going to share why we get to participate in that journey in just a few moments. But do me a favor before you leave. If you haven't heard about this project, in our guest centers, we have a bunch of these that you can take with you and you can explore what the project is and you can pick up one of these pledge cards. We would love for you, if you haven't gotten to it yet or this is the first time you've heard about it, to fill out one of these pledge cards and let us know that you believe in the work that we're doing here, that this space is important. Now, for you, this may seem like something tangential to the actual sermon, but I got to tell you, for me, it's not. This is very much close to my own heart. Uh, This last Sunday, uh, my wife and I moved from Niles to Berrien Springs. I know, long trek, Uh, 12 miles. Uh, We're 12 miles closer now in about uh, 12, 13, I mean, depending on the day and how heavy my foot is, maybe nine minutes, 12 minutes closer. Uh, Everyone's asked me, Jose, why did you guys move? I mean, Niles is just... Down the road, Berrien Springs is right here. Uh, And nobody really likes to move. Do you remember the last time that you moved? Uh, Probably really annoying. Uh, Moving costs money. Moving uh, takes up a lot of time and energy. Um, Moving is really, really inconvenient. Um, Moving, you discover things that you forgot you had, and then you discover things that you never used, and then you discover boxes that you never unpacked from the last move. And then you say, no, I should hold on to this because I may need it someday. Anybody done that before? So um, I've, every time everybody asks this question, I've I've answered it uh, kind of sheepishly because, well, one, I I don't, I wanted to move on to the next topic. I didn't want to talk about myself. So I, so I simply said, hey, it's a matter of convenience. We're closer, less miles. Uh, I've owned my car for 14 months now, and I've put on 35,000 miles, and I, I kind of don't want to have to drive so much. Um, can I be transparent with you for just a moment? It's actually a much bigger reason why we've moved. Moving here is really satisfying what I believe God is calling my wife and my family to. It's really recognizing our purpose, and it, and it feels like an answered prayer when all of this worked out, because now we see an alignment with what God has built us for and what he's calling us to, and that really can be best served living right here in this zip code, 49103. 
Purpose is about understanding how God has shaped you, how God has formed you, uh, both by, you know, your genetics, both by how uh, your parents have raised you and the circumstances that life uh, has has used to shape you into being a certain kind of way. It's about the stewardship of your education and your training. Purpose is activating all of those things for something, right, other than yourself. And calling, calling is that space where God is asking you to live out your purpose. And so we have really felt that being right here in 49103 was the best way to fulfill our purpose and satisfy what God has been calling us to do. Three things. One, the first and most important and primary mission field, my kids. My kids get absolutely the best here. They've been going to Ruth Murdoch since we've moved here seven years ago, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. I have right now Sophia in sixth grade. Jonah is in third grade. Amazing teachers. In a few years, they're going to be in the academy. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about the academy teachers. I'm excited about the programs that are happening there. All their co-curricular or extracurricular activities happen in 49103. Their music lessons happened here. My daughter just joined the Redbirds girls basketball team. And the ministry and recreation that's happening in that space is so edifying for her. She's finding a sense of team. And there's great spiritual leadership there. Uh, They enjoy the Sabbath schools. There's just a good, hearty amount of connection and loving care and spirituality in 49103. And it's easier. It's easier to do that here. Not only because, and here's the thing, proximity isn't just about convenience. Proximity is about connection. By being this close, we can ensure a better connection with her schools, his schools, with his friends, her friends, their parents. That's what being close does. The second thing is quite simple. I've been here over seven and a half years as a campus chaplain, and what I've recognized with every passing year is that the church has a vital part in this campus community. It's significant. It is no small thing. When I look around the room on Sabbath mornings, when I walk across campus during the week, and I see people on campus in offices that I also see in this space, I think to myself, man, what a blessed opportunity for us to work in tandem as, pe- as God is shaping other students' purpose and helping them to define what their calling is. Being close to this campus community is a big deal. And I know, <laughs> 10 minutes that I don't have to spend on the road or a total of 20 minutes that I don't have to spend on the road is 20 more minutes that I get to spend with students here, the 20 more minutes that I get to spend with faculty or staff or church members as we discuss, as we dream, as we try to sort out, what is God calling us to? Third thing, I, and this one's the hardest one because I never thought I would say these words, Berrien Springs is home. Yeah? Yeah? So I have, a, I have a very interesting, this is my third round in Berrien Springs. Uh, Rich Aguilera, who was told our children's story, 
has known me in each, every round because he's been here in a long time, and Berrien Springs is his home. I came here as a kid because my dad was an international student. We lived in Maplewood Apartments and Garland Apartments. We even lived in the community at one point in time. I enjoyed Ruth Murdoch. I came back for a second round because I did college and seminary here. And when I was doing college, man, praise God, in seminary, I got to do a lot of fun and engaging things for the space. And then finally, the third round, seven years ago, God saw fit to call me back. When you sum it all up, more than half of my life has been spent in Berrien Springs. And I just think to myself, man, home. That's this place. That's these people. I remember the first Sabbath that I was here uh, in July of 2010, July of 2011, excuse me. And uh, I looked around and I felt like I didn't know anybody. You know, when you stand up here, you look and it's just a sea of people. But then you begin to familiarize yourselves with people. I saw some of my college professors. I saw Dr. Markovich and Dr. Stefanovich, who always sit back there (laughs) in the middle, had great classes with them. And as time grew, I began to recognize more and more faces and have experiences and shared stories with people around this room. It really has become home. I look forward to coming here on Sabbath. Berrien Springs is also home to a bunch of my classmates who don't go to church anymore. In Berrien County alone, there's thousands of former Adventists, and many of them I know by face. I went to school with them. I went to church with them. And I just got to, this is what God has put on my heart. This is what God has put on my heart. I'm saying to myself, Now's the time. Now's the time to make yourself completely available. Build the bridges. Build those relationships. Help them to know Jesus. And sure, there are a dozen churches within 15 minutes of here. But I believe that this church has a special heart. I believe that this church has amazing people that know how to love on each other and know how to love on strangers in ways that other churches are trying to do, and God bless them. I see this room, and I see opportunity to satisfy a mission that God has placed on our hearts. And here's, here's the thing. You're here, and you may be just visiting, but many of you, you're here. And I gotta ask you, why? Could it be that God has placed you? Has he called you here to build a bridge and to make connection with people's hearts. This building project isn't just about renovating a space. It's kind of important. Because you see, it's inconvenient, right? Nobody wants, nobody wants to spend the time and the energy and the money to fix a building. But we have to remember, proximity isn't about convenience. It's about connection. This building here on this campus is an important thing. It allows us to make connection with students, with family, with faculty and staff. It's not just convenient, but it's special. 
I really hope you would consider investing, making an investment in our mission to not only renovate this house, but renovate this heart. You may have missed it a few weeks ago. Pastor Dwight made it really clear. This is not just about the building. This is about some strategic shifts, and I can't wait to hear them. He will share them at some point in time. He promised, and I remind him almost every week, hey, what were those again? Coming here, coming to this space is what allows me to identify what these four friends saw as most critical. They saw their friend, right, this paralyzed friend, this Uh, This person who didn't have the energy, didn't have the ability, didn't have the capacity, was completely immobilized, couldn't go anywhere. And they said, we know someone. We We know the thing that will make you whole again. Let's put you in connection with that someone. So what did these four friends do? They picked up this paralytic in their mat. They went to the house. The crowd was in the way. So they went on the roof, they broke through the roof, and they dropped this individual down. As I'm thinking about the nuns in our societies, I'm thinking about the nun that you know, the person who has no more connection uh, with God, that seems to be completely um, out of touch and out of conversation with God and with God's people. I'm asking myself, Lord, could you please could you please send some of those friends to that that nun that I know? God, could you please send somebody who's going to take my friend who's spiritually atrophied, whose muscles don't work anymore, who's desensitized to God's things, isn't even angry, isn't bitter about it, God. Could you please just send some friends to carry him to Jesus? I'm praying that for that person that I had a conversation with. I'm just praying, Lord, please send someone to carry him on their mat to the feet of Jesus, to make him whole. Now, here's the, here's the exciting thing. Here's the opportunity that we have, because I know that you're thinking about somebody who you're praying that for. Here's the opportunity that we have, is that somewhere, there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who's saying that same prayer, and the person that they're praying about, guess where they're sitting? Right here. Guess where they're living? Right over there in those residence halls, in those apartments, in this community. Someone is saying those prayers. Send a friend to carry my spiritually atrophied nun to Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just tried to answer each other's prayer by by being a friend to those people, by being a friend and building that relationship with someone that will allow us to carry them to the feet of Jesus. And and here's the wonderful thing about this story. Our role is significant. We're here to help carry the burden. But the power of healing, the power of, of heart conversion is something only that Jesus can do. I want to give them that opportunity I want, I want somebody to be just as passionate about my family member who's a nun. I want that person to reach out to them, and I think it's only fair that they would expect the same from me, that I would pour out my heart, that I would give everything that I possibly could to search for them, to find them on their mat, to build that relationship 
And with energy that they can't muster to use my energy, use my resources to bring them to that place where they can connect with Jesus. Family is no joke. Family is a real thing. Family is something we don't give up on. Family we don't quit on. We keep going. Uh, I have some really new technology with me. Check it out. Isn't that great? New for most of you. Probably have never seen one of these before. And uh, I know for those of you who recognize it, here's the funny thing, and it's true. Something that's really familiar to us seems like something really old, right? We've grown up with it. We, we know what it is. But for someone who doesn't know it, who's never seen it, it's something completely brand new. Here's the thing with the nuns. And if you look at it, this is a short summary. They have, they have no religious affiliation, but what they're really seeking is relational connection. And here's the thing, is that when you follow Jesus, you're in touch with some serious relational wealth. He offers it in abundance. He offers a, a, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, but I'm going to let this really old song tell us a little bit about that connection with Jesus. This is a switch. You use it to turn things on. And if I were a kangaroo, 
you know, I'd hop right up to you. And if I were an octopus, I thank you, Lord, for my fine looks. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. For you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me a child. I were a crocodile. I thank you, Lord, for my big smile. If I were a fuzzy wuzzy bear, I thank you, Lord, for my fuzzy wuzzy hair. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. For you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me a child, and I just thank you, Father, for making me me. One more time, for you gave me a heart and you gave me a smile. You gave me Jesus and you made me a child, and I just thank you, Father, for making me me. Called the Forever Fade Out. Isn't that a beautiful story? God made you. And when He made you, He made you His child. What this generation of nuns need to hear is what you and I need to hear. We belong to somebody. We belong to the king of the universe. We belong to the Lord. We belong to Jesus. He counts us as one of his children. And it's our job. It's our purpose and calling being lived out when we let others know about the love of Jesus, about how he wants to take care of them. One last story. I invite you to turn to page eight in your bulletin. My son Emmett is three years old, and he's an active future member. He's already planning his baptism at Pioneer Memorial Church. Here's a little glimpse into how Emmett is a part of church life at PMC. As you'd expect, he loves his Sabbath school class, he loves the songs. We sing them often at home during the week, too. In fact, this is Emmett's album. He loves the stories. He loves with being kids, uh, with other kids his age who love Jesus, and he loves his Sabbath school teachers, too. But Sabbath school is just the beginning of Emmett's church activity. He also attends the church service regularly. 
He's a three-year-old, so it's not always easy for him to sit and listen, but most of the time, he does well. He loves the children's story, yes, but he also loves the parts of the service that aren't geared towards the little ones, special music selections, song service, and even the sermons. On the Sabbaths, we are forced to miss church because of sickness or some other issue. He asks to watch the live stream of PMC's second service on Facebook. Emmett also attends prayer meeting, the 7 a.m. House of Prayer, every week. He looks forward to it all week long, and he's begun sharing Bible stories there. He often prays with the other attendees. Isn't that right, Pastor Skip? Emmett prays with us Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. We attend Mommy and Daddy and me me two to three often. And Emmett is always thrilled to know that we're going. He loves playing with the other children, doing the crafts provided, and singing and learning during circle time. My son looks forward to going to PMC every time he goes, because he meets people there who show him love every single time without fail. That's an interesting mission. Talk about renovating heart. What if every time you came whether it's Sabbath morning or any day during the week, your mission was to tell somebody and show somebody how much God loves them. Maybe you're a Sabbath school teacher doing ministry under the roof of PMC in a room full of energetic youngsters eager to learn about Jesus. Maybe you're an elder or a pastor sharing in the leadership of House of Prayer. Maybe you're a member of the praise team or the media team ministering by making the service special and accessible for the rest of us. Maybe you're a deacon or a deaconess, helping out with all that goes on behind the scenes. There are many opportunities for ministry leadership under the roof, and you are making a difference when you help in these ways. And let me, let me say this much, too. When you show up, not because you have to, but simply because you want to, you encourage each other. I'm encouraged when I see you Every time I see Brandon Vanderpowski, I think to myself, Jesus is a miracle worker. Because I love Brandon very much, and he thinks highly of me, and I can say that because he doesn't have a mic right now. But the ministry I'm most thankful for as the mother of a little boy who already loves God and loves his church is the love ministry of John 13, 35, which says, by this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Emmett, and he's not the only child with a story like this, loves Jesus because you, the members of PMC, have loved Emmett. He sees that Jesus has made a difference in your lives by the way you treat him. This ministry of love is open to all of us, and it doesn't just work on three-year-olds. Under the roof of Pioneer Memorial Church, let love be our primary ministry. Amen? I want everybody who comes to this campus to experience the church that Emmett is talking about here. And here's what I know. It's already very true. I praise God for the opportunity that we have. And I praise God because he is unrelentless in his pursuit of the children that he's created, that he's formed, that he's shaped. He desires an eternal connection with them. I say, hey, God, I'm here. I'm, I'm happy to carry however many mats I need to. 
And Lord, please send someone to my family member who needs to be carried. Let's continue. Let's continue to encourage one another by loving those who God puts in our way to the max. Turn with me in your hymn, hymnals, to hymn number 340, Jesus Saves. I'm going to invite the deacons to stand, and we're going to collect our morning tithes and offering right now. And if you would, please take a moment, fill out the pledge card, and partner in the ministry of renovating heart and house right here. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the witness of these four young men who carried their friend to you. Their friend who had experienced spiritual atrophy, who lacked desire, passion, even capacity to come to you. Father, if you have put people in our way that we should also carry to your feet, Lord, give us the eyes to see, give us the strength to do the heavy lifting. Give us the commitment that you have, that you will allow nothing, absolutely nothing, to get in the way of your love to them. Take this morning tithes and offering it may go to build your kingdom exponentially. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.